Welcome to the Wake Up Eager Workforce podcast. This is episode number 11. The title of today's show is Barriers That Hold Women Leaders Back. And today I interview Erin Wolf. She is the founding director of the Coles College of Business Women's Leadership Center at Kennesaw State University. And she has some great information to share with us. We're going to talk about three reasons why male listeners are going to want to stay tuned into this podcast. So if you're a guy, don't tune out because we're talking about barriers that hold women women leaders back because some of these barriers apply to you and it's just smart information to know about the people around you, some things that they may be facing or struggling with that you could help them with. We're going to look at six internal barriers, three external barriers. We're going to talk about which ones are most prevalent and give some tips. Erin gives some good ideas and tips and suggestions about things that can be done about those barriers. She's going to share what's the most important rule you need to know about to win at the corporate game. And she's going to share a secret that you're going to want to pay attention to. And lastly, she leaves us with some key reminders and takeaways for both men and women that are going to make a big difference to you. So I'm excited about today's podcast. I like Erin because she's very credible and clear, and she takes this topic of women leadership in a direction that's a little different than what I think other people do. She doesn't make it about feminism or um, emotional topics. She talks about it in a real smart and focused research-oriented, and just real-world way. She has a ton of real-world experience, and she shares that with us today. So I'm excited about it. I'm glad you're here. Let's get started. Welcome to the Wake Up Eager Workforce Podcast, a show designed for leaders, trainers, and consultants who are responsible for employee selection and professional development. Each episode is packed full with insider tips, best practices, expert interviews, and inspiration. Please Welcome the host who is helping leaders, trainers, and consultants everywhere, Susie Price. Hi, I'm Susie Price, and I'm your host for our podcast. Our show notes for today's show, Barriers That Hold Women Leaders Back, can be found at pricelessprofessional.com slash barriers. And I'm excited, as I mentioned earlier about the podcast, I'm excited that you're here and that I even get to do this podcast and that you're listening. I am a professional facilitator, consultant, and author, and I have been in my business, Priceless Professional Development, for the past 12 years. And my focus is I work with leaders, trainers, and consultants. And on this podcast, what we focus on is employee selection and professional development. I provide my vast experience in those arenas here on these podcasts, bringing you other experts, sharing you with you information that I know, and the podcast director, if you want to see what the other podcasts have been so far, you can go to wakeupeagerworkforce.com and you can see the directory of the 10 other podcasts that we've done and it'll, that catalog will continue to grow. So let me tell you a little bit about Aaron Wolf, uh, our person that I am on converse, in conversation with today on this podcast. I already mentioned that she's at Kennesaw State University. There she develops and implements initiatives and connections that help women, students, and professionals reach their fullest leadership potential. And she does really do that. She teaches several programs there. She rolls out many of the, there's a women's executive leadership program that's coming out. And uh, she comes from a great level of experience. She has more than 25 years of experience in well-known firms, well-known firms such as Bain & Company, Goldman Sachs, Accenture, Salman Brothers. She works with, on an individual basis when she's not doing her work at Kennesaw State University, Home Depot, Whirlpool, UPS, Sears, American Express, Kimberly Clark, other universities. You name a company and she looks like she's probably worked with them. So she brings 
very important experience. And she also sits on the several boards, uh, Harvard University's Kennedy School, uh, the uh, uh, Business School at Harvard, the Atlanta Girls School, uh, other, other boards. So she's very active and very involved in the community and has some real-world, positive, helpful information to share. So let's go to the interview now. I know you're going to like it. Right, I'm excited to have Aaron Wolf on the call today. Aaron, welcome. Thank you, and thank you for having me. I'm glad you're here. I'm very excited about what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about what holds women leaders back. And you have done some great work around internal and external barriers for women. And what I want to start off with, though, is I know I have very uh, a lot of men listeners, male leaders, and I want you to kind of address the idea of, is this topic for them? If they're thinking, okay, what holds women back? Okay, I don't need to listen to that podcast. So if we've got male listeners, and before they click off, um, you know, what will they get from this information? And maybe your view of why they should stay tuned in to this topic. Well, I think there's three reasons why they should stay tuned in. First of all, getting more diversity in leadership benefits all of us. So companies that have diverse leadership do better from a total return on sales and a return on equity standpoint. So men should care about that for the good of their companies and and understand what the barriers are to more diversity at the top. Also, for any guys tuning in who manage women, this will help you to help them. You will better understand some of the things that are holding them back some of the things that they're doing that are holding themselves back so that you can coach them on that. And then lastly, leadership advice doesn't usually apply to just men or just women. It usually applies to both. So, guys, you may hear something that resonates with you, too. Yeah, great. Okay, so don't tune out. This is something for everybody here. (laughs) But we are specifically talking about women and their barriers, and we are – pleased that you're on the call, Erin, and we'd like to know you a little better, a little bit more about you. I've already shared prior to our getting on the interview today uh, about your background, but let's talk about you as a leader and start out with a hard question, um, but a good one because it's all revealing and interesting for all of us to hear these things about other leaders, to know they're human. So share with us a little bit, Erin, about your most challenging moment as a leader. My most challenging moment, okay, Um, probably it was when I found myself in the C-suite for the first time reporting to a CEO who I thought was unethical. And the question is, do you stay? Do you quit? Do you let them know? What do you do about that? And I ended up, I mean, I, I was younger than I am now, and if I knew then what I know now, I may have handled it differently, but I ended up leaving the company because I really didn't know what to do, but what he was doing was going against what I believed was the ethical thing to do. So I left, but that was pretty challenging. Yeah, that was a hard decision to make. And as you look back now, are you glad you made that decision to go ahead and leave? You know, I wish I had understood better where he was coming from and and probably tried to talk to him a little bit more. Um, I may have decided to leave anyway, but I wish I had addressed the issue. Ah, got a better understanding of maybe what you didn't understand. Yeah. (laughs) That's right. That's right. Okay. 
yeah, that that had to be a challenging thing, especially when you've made it to the C-suite to let that go. That's exactly right. So you get to a higher position and, you know, I ended up going to another company in the same position. So things worked out okay, but you never know how they're going to work yeah. out. So, you know, I was lucky yeah. in that instance. Yeah. Beauty of that, you landed on your feet. <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> so all <laughs> we like that. that. Well, yeah. why you're a great role model. Oh, well, thank so, you. So tell us a little bit about a rewarding moment as a leader, something you think back on and you say, wow, leadership can be hard, but boy, I'm sure I'm glad I was a leader in this case because this was meaningful and rewarding to me. Yeah, uh, probably I can cite something that happened fairly recently. Just a couple of years ago, I was coaching a woman leader who was very unhappy with her direct supervisor and was thinking about leaving the company, even though she had been there for many years. And she was also an extreme introvert. And so it was very difficult for her to think about going to a different company. And after I coached her for, we coached eh, probably three months or so, she got a big promotion and said she couldn't have done it without me, which made me feel terrific. She all of a sudden, you know, she worked on it and got a good relationship with her boss and the boss was so happy with her that she gave her this promotion. So that's one of the most rewarding moments you can have as a leader is to work with somebody and see the fruits of your labor with them. So yeah, to actually see it, to actually see yeah. it, you know, to be witness to it. Because I think that we drop seeds and, and support others along the way, and we just know that the good is going to come. And sometimes we get to hear about the good, and sometimes we don't. But in this case, you got to witness it. What do you think the coaching did for her, if you if you think back, or maybe things she said? Was it having a sounding board? Was it having somebody who'd been there and done that? Was it helping her strategize or all of those things? What do you think? Probably all of those, but one was a sounding board. The other was opening her eyes to where her boss was coming from. So she had her way of dealing with things and didn't think about possibly modifying her behavior a little bit in order to adapt it more to her boss. And that's what really helped her was when she understand, understood what her boss was all about and how she could adjust her behavior a little bit in order to make her boss happier. And we all do that. I mean, people think, oh, we have to be authentic. And you do have to be authentic. But we can all adjust our behavior a little bit in order to make others more comfortable while staying authentic to ourselves. Yeah, and it's that idea of thinking about, okay, what do they need? You know, don't treat people like I want to be treated, but what do they need from me? You know, moving towards them and trying to understand them. Exactly. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Great. What a rewarding moment. Congratulations <laughs> to her and to you. Well, thank you. <laughs> I love you. that. Love that. Okay, so now here's a good one. I like to know this because you always find out interesting things about people. So if possible, because I know you're very public, you're out speaking, you've written several books, uh, you're visible all over teaching at Kennesaw State and with your individual clients. And so there's probably a lot of things a lot of people know about you more than most because you're out front. Uh, but is there anything that most people don't know about you that we might would find really interesting? <laughs> well, there's one thing 
that I have now put on my bio just very recently that I hadn't put on before, and that's the one thing I'm going to bring out, which is that um, I was a nationally ranked tennis player when I was younger and went to Duke on an athletic scholarship. I don't play anymore. I only play golf. Um, so people people don't know that I actually used to do a sport well because I do golf so poorly. But that's pro- that's probably the biggest thing is is people don't realize that I did this this sport at a at a really high level when I was younger, and it probably influenced how I am in the workplace. How I understand competition, I understand that there are un- there are rules that you have to follow. All of this came from sports, but it was a sport that a lot of people don't know that I even played. How about that? You were nationally ranked. Yeah, it was a long time ago, <laughs> but <laughs> I certainly played my uh, share of tennis and have three shoulder surgeries to show for oh. it. So, oh yeah. yeah. So hence yeah, the not played playing a lot anymore. of tennis. Yeah, that's right. And it's a shame that those skills don't automatically transfer to golf. What is up with that? I I I don't understand. I you know there are days I get out and play golf and it feels great and I think there's nothing to this game and then the next day I can go out and shoot ten points higher and think I'll never get this game in my entire life. So I don't <laughs> <understand>. <laughs> it's tough. My dad uh, was a golf teacher. And had a driving oh range for many years. He just retired. But, yes, yeah, so golf has been in my life for a long time. The yeah, whole thing I about fitness, too. Yeah. The whole thing about fitness, to me, where I think that gives folks uh, a, a head up or a lead in, especially women in leadership, is it just builds kind of a mental toughness. If you can get yourself through a workout and have that discipline or, in your case, you know, compete against other people, uh, it creates a mental discipline uh, and yeah. a body awareness that I think serves your, you your whole life. I do too. Um, you know, the mental toughness is huge um, because you're competing in business, hopefully with others outside your company, but business is to some extent a competition. And so if you've experienced that at an early stage in your life, then it doesn't seem as daunting when you get into the business world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I I like going to the gym and lifting weights, and I like that when I go in there, I'm never I never think, oh, I'm in the, where the guys are, you know. And I'm not in perfect fit shape anymore or anything, but I still I like going in there, and and I don't even really think about it. It's like all guys around, and I think this has been good for me in my life, you know, that I'll go yeah. over there and not be intimidated and not be worried about what they think and just do it, you know. Um, So I could just see that parallel probably in all sports. I kind of, I wish I had been a team player sport person. Um, That would have probably helped even more in regard to that dynamics and team and stuff like that, you know? Yeah. Once I got to college and I was, it was very much an individual sport when I was in the juniors, but when I got to college, it was more of a team. I mean, each of us played our own match, but we were part of a team and I loved it. Thought it was great. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Good. All right, so we won't challenge you to a tennis match because we'll save your shoulders, but we like knowing that about you. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Okay, so we're going to talk about the title of today's topic is around what holds women back, and you have a a talk that you give probably, I assume, all over the country. Um, So if you're looking for a speaker, Aaron's somebody you might want to tap. 
there are, you share three external barriers and six internal barriers in the talk that I, I got to see. And I thought we'd start with the internal barriers because I always feel like I always, for me personally, go to what I can control or what I can have the most influence over. And I know I can uh, learn or try to master my stuff, you know. And so spending time there is, is good good time or well-spent time. So let's go look at the six internal barriers that you see um, in your work with other leaders and in your world of having been through the C-suite. What are the six internal barriers? I would say they are um, self-doubt about what we want, which is also called ambition gap. Um, and, And there's Actually, people think there is more of an ambition gap between men and women than there is because women are less likely to put themselves out there and say, I am ambitious, I want power. So there's, I think there is less of an ambition gap between men and women, but there is still doubt because often women are the primary breadwinner, I mean, I'm sorry, the primary caregivers. They have self-doubt about should, should I be, how much time should I be putting in at work versus being at home, that sort of thing. And mm-hmm. so it's that self-doubt about how much time we should really put in to go for it. And, you know, we need to be more clear about what our ambitions are. So one is self-doubt. The other is self-promotion. And women aren't generally as good at self-promoting as men are. They, there are various reasons why women don't self-promote. They, um, you know, one of the reasons might be self-deprecation before others can put us down. You know, I'll put myself down before somebody else can. Or women also often say, if they cared, they'd know the great things I'm doing. So I don't, I shouldn't self-promote. You know, they should know what I'm good at. Not wanting to come across as egotistical would be another reason that women don't self-promote and maybe that whole self-doubt thing. So self-promotion is an internal barrier that holds us back. Another one is, third one is negotiation and the fact that women do negotiate less frequently than men do. Now, for women, taking credit and and, um, negotiating can come at a societal and professional cost because Women are not expected to negotiate as much as men are. We're supposed to, we're supposed to be nice. We are raised to be nice and conciliatory and um, to smooth things over. Men are raised to be tough and direct and to negotiate. So that's one of the reasons that women don't negotiate as much as men do. And what I say to them is, Go out, be yourself, and people will get used to who you are. Um, fourth, I would call the imposter syndrome, and that's feeling that at either every step of the way or some steps of the way, we don't belong where we are, that we got there by luck or by chance, and we don't, we shouldn't be there. And in her book, Lean In, Sheryl Sandberg, who graduated in the top 5% of her class in, at Harvard Business School, who was Phi Beta Kappa, ha- feels the imposter syndrome that sometimes she wonders how she got where she is because she really doesn't belong there, which is incredible 
to hear from somebody who is that smart and that accomplished being the COO of Facebook. Um, so the, the imposter syndrome. Fifth would be risk aversion. Women being um, afraid to put themselves out there and to take the risk of possibly more exposure because the fear of failure is high. And then the last one is thinking that performance is or past performance is just as important as people looking at your future potential. And what studies have shown is that people get promoted on their potential, not necessarily just on the past performance. So women need to think about words that are used to describe them. Are you described as a hard worker and loyal and a team player, which are all good things? Or are you described as strategic and visionary and results-oriented? And those are the adjectives that usually get people promoted. And so women need to look forward and view themselves as visionary rather than just, I'll keep my head down and get promoted on my past performance. So those are the six internal barriers. Awesome. And they're, they're powerful. Every single one of them has power in it. And I'm listening and maybe everybody else who's listening, I'm thinking, okay, which ones are my biggest? And which one surprised me, you know, for me, uh, and I have actually over this past, and I've been in my business since 2004, uh, early 2004. And prior to that, it was in corporate America and I know what I'm doing and I'm good at it and I get hired back and uh, I like what I do and I'm bold, but I have those. And I like that you said, uh, Cheryl Sandberg has this is the imposter syndrome, which I am working through that. That is less and less these days. Um, you know, the anxiety around that. It's like, am I good enough? You know, it's really, for me, what I hear myself saying more and more, if any of those feelings crap up, is I am enough. This is enough. I know what I'm doing. Right. Yeah. And just letting that little girl who needs a little pat on the head just say, okay, you're okay. You just go sit in the back of the room because the adults are in the room and I'm I'm in charge. You know, <laughs> it's very empowering. Yeah, men feel this way too. It's not just women because I've talked to men yeah. about the imposter syndrome as well. This yeah. is why I said guys should you know tune into this podcast because it's not just women that feel these things, but it comes out more with women than it does with men. Men are good at masking it, I think, a little bit better. Ah, I agree. I agree. And kind of what you said about when we're brought brought up, we're kind of taught to be nice, and and guys are a little taught a little bit more to just be assertive, go for it. You know, depending right. on how you're brought up. But in general, you know, the one that surprised me that I hadn't thought about but seems so true is the last one, thinking that past performance is enough, that people are looking for potential, and that's what they promote on. Past performance is good, but, I mean, if you think of the nine-box grid, I don't know if you've seen that, yes. um, but I've used it with yes. companies where you're figuring out who's where and who has who has the performance and then who has the potentials in the top grid, and that's who, who they're looking at, you know, um, in right. regard to who who's who's the one so when you look at all six of these you know are there two that are more prevalent than the other um which two if you see yeah the one that you mentioned the imposter syndrome would be number one in my mind um not not just from things i've experienced but just from what other women have said either 
I, I shouldn't go for that promotion because I'm not ready. I don't belong there yet. I'm still learning the job I'm in, things like that. So the imposter syndrome hits so many people, so many women and men, mm-hmm. that that's the one that I would say is probably the most prevalent. Another one that's that's a pretty big one is the negotiation, not mm-hmm. realizing that there are times to negotiate. And studies have shown that women do that men initiate negotiations four to eight times more frequently than women do. Um, and 20 percent of women don't negotiate at all. And that uh-huh. when we ask, we even ask for less than the men ask for. So uh-huh. there, are, there are all sorts of studies out here that show that negotiate and that if you do negotiate, it it counts for like a million dollars difference in salary over your career than if you don't negotiate. So wow. there are many reasons to get, to negotiate. That's exactly right. It's a big wow. Yeah, a million dollars. So I yeah yeah. So I would say negotiation is one that women really need to think about how to do it, how to do it right, how to be in the right position to negotiate those sorts of things. Yeah, it's interesting for me. I think about that skill and I think, okay, that's not always been my strong suit. But when I've gone through sales training and different things, there's a lot of teaching around, you know, how do you talk about, you know, what what uh, benefits you're going to keep and, you know, what's your discussion you have. So that has helped. And then my husband is really good at negotiating. He negotiates everything. And so just watching him and he does it, in my view, pretty fairly, but he always wins. It seems like, <laughs> you know, so it's like, what a good role model. So I think those two, you know, the sales training for me has helped me some, like, not that I have that figured out, but, um, and then also seeing people who are good at it. And instead of kind of being appalled by it, because I remember initially I thought, daggum, he, he negotiates everything, <laughs> you know, right, and then it was like, right. huh, that's interesting. And that's admirable. And look, he always wins, <laughs> you know. <laughs> And I think you would be very good at it because of your personality, because you come across as colloquial and not, you know, not too hard nosed about things. So you would be able to get your way and people wouldn't even realize it. (laughs) So I would think you would be very good. I like that. I like that. Yeah. (laughs) We're growing into that. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you. So have you uh, personally experienced these? Uh, any of these, or is there one that you kind of have really said, okay, I'm, I worked through that, um, and yeah, maybe an example? Um, um, uh, well, the imposter syndrome, I think everybody experiences at some time. I know when I went to uh, off to Harvard Business School when I was 24 or so, I thought I shouldn't be here. Oh, my gosh. All these. I mean, I had been a salesperson at IBM and there were all these people that were coming from investment banking and strategy consulting or Bain, BCG, McKinsey, those companies. And I thought, I don't belong here. And then I realized after the first quarter of school that I was okay. I was in the pack. I wasn't I mean, I wasn't first, but I wasn't last. And that was okay. So I got over that one. The bigger one that I would have helped me if, is if I had known about negotiation better, and that's where I have taken salaries and positions without negotiating at all, where I know there was room for negotiation. For example, uh, with one company I went with, I could have negotiated. They had bonuses at the end of the year, and I could have negotiated a guaranteed bonus. 
but I went in just assuming, well, I'll get my bonus at the end of the year, and then realized that a woman who had come from a rival firm of the firm I had come from had negotiated a guaranteed bonus. And I thought, well, why didn't I do that? You know, that's ridiculous. She she will be sure to get her year-end bonus. I don't know if I will. And I could have gotten it because I had come from a very similar firm that she had. The other was that I didn't negotiate my position well enough. I should have come in as a partner and I came in at the level below that. And it had a, you know, devastating effect on my career there. So my neck, the next position I went to at another consulting firm, I made sure that I went in as a partner because um, I had finally learned from yeah. my mistakes. So Nothing like there, not knowing what you don't want to teach you what you do want, you know? Yeah, like, right, oh, I made a mistake. Right. I mean, mistakes are our greatest teachers. Yeah, sometimes they're painful. Yeah, yeah. so, you, you know, you overcome these by, you know, by making the mistakes. That's certainly one way you can overcome them. But I also have read countless articles and books, including Lean In, which is a, a great book, in my opinion, for any woman or man to read. But that's that's one way that you can overcome these things is get out there, talk to other women about these things and what do they do, how do they overcome them, and then reading or taking classes is a good thing to do too. And when you t- say talk to other women, I have been very blessed uh, in my life that I do have women that I can talk to. I've sought them out. Um, I have, you know, a coach that I use. I've even gone to a therapist here and there. I have close friends, you know, that I can say be really honest with. But I don't know that all women, and I've had networking groups that I'm close to too, but I don't know, and you tell me what you think, that all women have confidants like that. Like I have a lot of people that if I need support and want to be really raw and honest about something that didn't work, I got people I can call. Um, but do you, I don't know that everybody has that. I don't think everybody does either. And what I tell women is get your own personal board of directors so you can get people from, I mean, not that you're going to bring them in all at the same time to a board meeting, but people, as you're mentioning, that you can go to separately and get advice and they'll be different. Some might be from your personal life. Some might be from your work life, but think of them as your board of directors, people who will give give you honest feedback about an issue, about leadership, whatever the topic is. So think of your personal board of directors. And I think that is probably the single best thing I've ever done for myself personally and professionally, and that is to actively seek that out, not be passive about that. Um, And it's paid off. It doesn't happen immediately, but over time you kind of start to find who's a fit and who do you have the history with that you trust and all that. But I think I see a lot of women just holding it all in. They don't really have anybody they talk to um, that understands. So, yeah, I think that's a big point. It's that sense of community. You're not alone and you get either the mentoring is why mentoring is so powerful. uh, That, you know, yeah. So board of directors, everybody. Get it. Yeah, and, and get men, you know, so women, yeah. make sure that you have men on your board of directors, too, so it's not just women, but, you know, a guy that will be honest with you, but that you feel that you can open up to. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I have different relationships with each different person, you know, so like you said, different for different situations, you kind of, you call on different people with different expertise or different kind of experience or relationship. Right. Great. Right. So 
we've got these barriers for women internally. We've suggested that um, they do some reading, they do some research, they pick one or two of these, focus on them and to you know, recognize them within themselves and work on developing them and moving through it because these are all things that you are, have have control over because they're internal things. They're, they're thinking things. They're belief things. And so they don't have control of us. We can take control of them. Um, what yeah, can, they're also uh, easier to talk about in the, in the, out in the open. So yeah. sometimes the external barriers are more difficult to talk about, but the internal barriers, since they're things within us, they're easier to talk to other people. It's easier to discuss these barriers out in the open, even with a manager or your supervisor to say, you know, I am having trouble with promoting myself. So I'm going to try to talk more in meetings or I would like chances to present in meetings. I mean, these are things that you can talk to your boss about. Yeah, because, yeah. Uh, so that's one another thing women can do is talk to their leader or their manager or their boss, peers. Mm-hmm. Um, what can organizations do? To help, since these are specific to women, but many of the men have them too, how can they help? Just by being an ear when someone brings it up? What else can organizations do or leaders in organizations do to help people move through this so that they can be, you know, move to their full potential and be a good mentor, coach, boss? Yeah, some organizations are setting up formal mentoring programs, which seem to be very good. So it'll take the top leadership of the company and pair them with high potentials. And that's a very good thing because then the top leaders understand more what some of the barriers are for the high potentials and what the high potentials are feeling. So just, and if your program doesn't have a, a, I mean, I'm sorry, your company doesn't have a mentoring program, then finding a mentor yourself what male and female is a good thing. And if you are in senior leadership, what you can do is mentor others. And maybe even if you're aware of some of the things we're talking about, even be the one to bring them up. How are you feeling about this? Do you feel that you're negotiating enough? Do you feel, hey, let me talk to you about something I felt early in my career, the imposter syndrome, whatever, helping women just talk about the issues that they're feeling. Yeah, I like having these six names, too, because it does, it's like you might be feeling it, but you kind of need to name it so that you can claim it and then move beyond it or work into it. So, and it could help the mentor, if they are visually seeing the self-doubt and the ambition gap and the internal struggle, well, now you know that's a typical barrier, so it's easier to bring it up. You know, you it see is. it sometimes, right. but you think about, okay, how do I name this behavior and share it in such a way if I'm a mentor or a coach or a boss, uh, you know, in such a way that... It's helpful, not hurtful, but just having a name to it and just having an open conversation about it is uh, a lot of times just listening and being supportive is almost enough to get through it. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Listening okay. goes so a long way. <laughs> yeah, listening, yeah, is uh, a big, 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 big help. Okay. So we've talked about internal barriers. Anything else that you think we ought to say about internal barriers before we go to the top three external barriers that women face in leadership? Um, Just that often we have these internal barriers because of the way we're brought up. So it's not a defect within you. It's that women, as we discussed before, women are brought up to be the nicer ones, more collaborative, the ones who smooth things over. And so that's what forms some of these 
interior, uh, internal thoughts of self-doubt and not wanting to put yourself out there, not wanting to negotiate. So it's, it's generally not necessarily that women are born differently, but that they are raised differently. So, cause I know quite a few women who are out there and who do put themselves out there. So I know that it's not, at least in my mind, it's not an inherent trait of women that we self doubt and that we have the ambition gap. It's that we are raised to feel this way. That's good to know because if if you were raised that way and it's not a defect and it's not an inherent trait, it means we can raise ourselves as adults to move out of that. If it's in right. our goals and our future and what we want, and yeah, that's great. That's a great yeah, differentiator to say. I think it's really important because when someone tells me that something is inherent to, I mean, how I was born, then I think, well, there's not much I can do to change it. But if it's something that I learned, I can unlearn this and learn something different. Awesome. Very uh, motivating and inspiring to others, I believe, because it is to me. So that's great. Okay, so now let's go to the three external barriers because they're there. Uh, what are the three external barriers? And just kind of explain what you you think of as external barriers um, and then which one is most prevalent. Okay. The first one would be the correlation between likability and competence. And this is often called the double bind. There is a positive correlation between, between likability and competence, meaning the more competent a man is, the more people like him. For women, the correlation between likability and competence is negative, meaning the more competent a woman is, the less she is thought of as a likable or nice person. So that's a double bind because women are supposed to be in this likable, nice, collaborative bucket. And if they step out, not the collaboration, I shouldn't have put that one in there, but likable, nice, um, nurturing bucket. If they stand, step out of that, their, which is their gender stereotype, into a more assertive bucket, which shows more competence, then they aren't following their gender norm. And so people are confused. Wait a minute. She's not supposed to be like this. She's supposed to be like that. But if women stay in, in the, well, I'm likable and I'm nurturing and all those things, but I'm not competent, then I don't have the leadership characteristics to be a leader. So it's a very difficult dynamic for women who are almost afraid to seem too competent because then people won't like them as much. I mean, a great example of this is Hillary Clinton. You know, politics aside, there is a lot of vitriol against Hillary Clinton, in my opinion, because of her, because she is out there, she is very self-assured and comes across as very competent. So there is a lot of negative negativity surrounding her. Some of it ha- may have to do with her politics, but some of it doesn't. And it's just yeah. this external barrier. Um, the next one is the correlation between sponsorship and similarity. So meaning that I will sponsor someone, meaning I will help 
with the trajectory of their career. I will put them up for promotion. I will advocate for this person. Generally, if that person is more similar to me, so you will often hear a senior person say something like, oh my gosh, he looks and acts just like I did at that age. Oh, he's just like I was. Well, that person is more likely to take that, the younger person on as a mentee or somebody that they will sponsor and kind of pull up on their, on their, you know, um, coattails. And the problem with that is that there aren't as many women in senior leadership. So if the guys are kind of, and this is generally not, it is unconscious. It's not a conscious thought, but if the guys are pulling others up who look like them and who act like them, then they're generally pulling up other white males because that's what most of the leadership of the Fortune 500 is. So the correlation between sponsorship and and similarity is a big external barrier. And this idea of implicit or unconscious bias. So I'm I'm biased towards somebody who is more like me without even realizing it. And then the last one is what I call the gender discount. And so um, men are seen as providers and women are seen as supporters. These are stereotypical adjectives used to describe men versus women. So the expectation is when a man helps a colleague out or goes to his son or daughter's athletic events, he gets credit for this. This is a good thing. When, when a woman helps a colleague out, it's expected because she's supposed to be the supporter. When she goes to one of her children's athletic events, that might even be seen as negative. Oh, my gosh, she's taking time off from work again. Whereas we generally don't feel the same way about the man who takes the time off. So I call this the gender discount. And it's just beliefs about men and women that are different when both exhibit the same action, depending on what is expected. So it's an interesting one. Yeah. Wow. We could do a whole call on each one of these individually. We could. <laughs> oh, we could. We could. I... And they're very interesting. <laughs> it's very interesting. And I can see examples of each. And I can see where plenty of women have worked past these and plenty of women have not. That's right. Um, unfortunately, some women, I mean, it's, it's really all about some of the unwritten rules of business and some women get them early on and some women don't. And if you don't understand what's going on, you get, you get yourself in trouble and yeah. things hold you back. Yeah. So out of these three, and I don't know how you're going to pick, but I'm curious <laughs> of what you're going to pick. <laughs> Which one's most prevalent, do you think? Probably the correlation between sponsorship and similarity. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think this is the one that hurts women the most, which is the this whole idea of unconscious bias of he looks like me, acts like me, so I'm, I really want to help him versus she doesn't look like me, she acts very differently from me, I'm less comfortable with that. And this, this really is, the problem with it is that it's not overt. It's 
unconscious. And so people don't even realize that they're doing it. So what's a woman to do around that one? Yeah, that's a, that's a tough one. Um, You know, there is unconscious bias training now in the workplace, which is a great thing to do. The other is to, well, I would say there's a couple of other things. One is if you find someone treating you differently and it's something that you can vocalize, vocalize it. So for example, I had a friend who had a baby and took maternity leave. Her coworker's wife had a baby at the same time. So back when they were both back at work, the man I don't think had taken time off. She had taken a little bit of time off, but they're both in the workplace. And she found that their mutual boss was giving more work to the man than to her. And so he was getting more recognition. It would help from a promotion standpoint. And she went to her boss and said something. And he said, oh, my gosh, I was just giving you less because I thought I was being helpful to you because your child is young. And she said, well, but so is my coworkers. And I don't want to be treated differently. And in fact, I'm the primary breadwinner in my family. And so my I need to be getting promoted and getting the raises equal to my peers. So that was a time when she was able to vocalize a an unconscious bias that was going on. The other thing that I say to women is find out what are the source of pride categories for your boss. Let's, so let's say you're reporting to somebody, what, do, what makes him feel good about himself or herself? So let's, one time I had a boss who was really into ultimate Frisbee. And I knew nothing about ultimate Frisbee, but I knew that this was something that he did on the weekends. I showed up. Because he was always saying, oh, you should come play. I showed up at an ultimate Frisbee game and played, even though I had never played this sport in my life. But I showed that I could meet him on something that he cared about that was outside of work. And sometimes then people see you in a different light. Instead of seeing you as the different person in the office, they see you as a person, so I tell, tell people, you know, it, it may be that the, the, the guy is really into college basketball or is very proud of his alma mater or whatever. Find a way to connect with that person on something that makes that person happy. It's helped me my whole career. Yep, and that is so powerful because if a, if a guy was trying to get promoted and liked his boss, he'd definitely show up at the Frisbee game in a minute. That's right. That's right. In a minute. Now, you know, in a minute. If, or if be talking about yeah. basketball or NASCAR or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. So don't say to yourself, oh, I'm not being authentic. Try try to find something. It doesn't have to be the ultimate Frisbee. Maybe they're into wine and you're into wine. Whatever it is, find something that you can connect on that's outside yeah. of work. Yeah, because this bias is about, she's just like me, he's just like me, you know, kind of thing. That's right. So you want to find, and you want to do that all the time anyway, you know, understand where people are coming from and show an interest into what they're into, be curious, you know, ask questions, share what you know, and and that does create a connection because we're human. And you're right, it, it does it, turn it into human stuff as opposed to boy-girl stuff. 
It does. And this is one that has helped me the whole, um, I, you know, I've experienced this whole correlation between sponsorship and similarity with my tennis, not now, but when I was younger, um, because, because I had played a varsity sport in college, the guys under, thought they understood me better. I because most of them had wanted to play a varsity sport in college, and most of them had played some sport in high school or at some point in their lives. So when they they knew that I played tennis, that made me more similar to them, and yeah. they felt that they could joke around with me. They felt that I could. I mean, I played tennis with numerous top leadership at a few companies I worked for, and. It helped me yeah. tremendously. So that was, you know, my experiencing one of these external barriers, but having it not be a barrier, having it yeah. actually work in my favor. Yeah. So find connection points, whatever they are. Yes. I think finding yeah. connection points is extremely important. That's great. So the three barriers are very interesting. Like I said, we could do a whole book on those. Um but uh, what I want to kind of ask you about right now is, do you get resistance or, or challenging comments from folks, uh, men or women, who kind of who don't believe there are special barriers for women? And what's your response to that? If there is resistance, or or people say, you know, oh, that's feminist, or or have some right. resistance to doing anything special for women, what what do you say, and what kind of what's your take on that? Well, what I hear often, probably the most often, is that there's no bias in the workplace, implicit or otherwise. You know, oh, you know, women don't make it to the top because they don't want it as much as men, or they opt out altogether to take care of their children, and they're really, the bias, they're thinking the overt bias is really gone, and so they're not even aware that there is this implicit or unconscious bias, and they're are numerous reasons, including the implicit bias, why women aren't making it to the top in greater numbers. And, you know, all you have to do is take an implicit bias test, which you can do online. There's a Harvard implicit bias test. If you take it, you'll realize that we all experience implicit bias. Um, Plus, studies have shown that if when I hear men or sometimes women say that women aren't as ambitious as men, studies have shown that women are just as ambitious as men. So a study of men and women with similar backgrounds found that approximately the same number of women wanted to be CEO someday as men. That was the most recent study I saw. So, you know, when I hear these these biases, um, I try to bring in research to show that it is otherwise, or sometimes I bring in personal experience. But it's the more factual I can be, rather than letting it come from an emotional place, because it's really easy to say, you're wrong, <laughs> this is, you're yeah. crazy. It's better to come, for me, to have studies and research at my fingertips to say, well, have you heard about this one, or have you heard about that? So that's what I try to do. That makes sense. You know, and I'm going to uh, get the link for the Harvard implicit bias test and put it in the show notes. I'll find That'd it online, I guess, right? Okay, I'll do that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, about the bias thing, I do some uh, assessment work for hiring, and part of the process is around helping people get out of their bias. 
So the facilitation process that we use and the tools that we use help people think about the job objectively because of the problem of bias when interviewing. And it's exactly almost the same thing on conscious bias. You know, I want to hire him or her because they seem just like me. Yeah. You know, so right. it's it's and it you know it's like not always person who seems just like you is the right next person for the job. Yeah, so and this isn't everywhere. It is. Yeah, and it's not just men. I mean, women have yeah. implicit bias too. So you'll often right. see in a in a department run by a woman, there might be more women in that department yeah. because yeah, she has true. hired more people who look like her. So. Yep. Yep. That makes sense. That makes sense. Using the facts. And maybe even considering, if you say, I don't have any bias, considering taking the implicit bias test and uh, kind of so that there's not so much resistance to these problems in the workforce can be some of the solutions here. Um, And then for the person who's receiving unconscious bias, uh, finding ways to connect and maybe doing some of the training and vocalizing was another solution that you shared. So, um, great. So in your book, you have a couple of books, and one of the ones uh, that I have not read completely but enjoyed reading the parts that I had time to read, Lessons from the Trenches, A Woman's Guide to Winning the Corporate Game. In that book, you share rules that you call the lucky seven. So tell us a little bit. Maybe we don't probably have time today to go into all the seven, but why do you call these rules lucky? And then maybe which one of those rules has had the biggest impact on you and your career and your life? The rules, these are really unwritten rules of business. So they're not necessarily something you're going to find anywhere written down. And they're lucky because if you understand them, you have a good chance of succeeding at the game of business. So I I call them the lucky seven. And I know we certainly wouldn't have time to go through them. Um, We could spend, you know, an entire podcast on each one. But The one that has had the most impact on my career is rule number one, which is learn the plays that make up the game of business. And by the way, if there are any men listening to this, all of these rules are, I've had many men read this book too, because these are not just for the women. Um, But rule number one, learn the plays that make up the game of business. Because I competed in sports at a high level when I was in my teens, we've talked about the tennis, um, in early 20s, I learned a lot about the rules of sports. It's it's funny, I, I like to say that the rules of business are based on what boys learned in Little League baseball and peewee football, and then they just bring them back into the workplace when they grow up. So, for example, we hear about how it makes guys extremely uncomfortable when a woman cries at work. And this is because guys learn early on there's no crying in baseball. It's just an unwritten rule of the game, no crying in baseball. So they don't understand why women are breaking a rule of the workplace. You know, oh, my gosh, you're not supposed to cry. That's a rule. So it makes them uncomfortable, you know. And there are other rules that I put in there from such as, you know, apply for the pitcher and quarterback positions, meaning think about those positions in a company that have the most visibility or within your department. Um, Another one would be, you know, understand the motivations of your coach and teammates. So we talked a little bit about this before, making sure you know what they want, not just what you want. But what do they want? What can you give them to support them? So all of these rules have been around for a long time, and you may want to change the rules, 
but it can't be a grassroots effort. I hear from women all the time that they say, well, I'm just going to change the rules. Well, that's a really tough thing to do if you are not the one who makes the rules, if you're not at the top. So rule changes generally come from the top, and you have to get there first in order to be able to change them. Now, I also say to women, once you, it's really important to understand what the unwritten rules are. Once you understand them, you get to decide whether you want to play by them or not, just like the guys. They decide whether they want to play by them or not. Yeah. And if, if you decide not to play by them, then there may be consequences in your career, but it is your decision. And you may play by some and not play by others. And that, that is your decision too. But you need to know what they are so that otherwise, you know, you're on a field and you don't know if you're playing baseball or soccer. Right. So you're confused and you're not looking like a A-plus player either. <laughs> right. Got it. Yeah. So I think two of the key words that you said there is understand and then decide. Right. That's right. Yeah. And, and, I, yeah. and you get to decide. You always have that. You always have that. And people say to me, well, are you telling women to be more like men? And I say, not at all, because you can play within the rules of the, the game without being a guy. I mean, not crying in the office does not turn you into a guy, but it is something to think about if you know that it's going to make people uncomfortable. Is it something that maybe you want to excuse yourself, go into the bathroom and let it out? Or do you want to do it in front of your boss? I mean, these are things that you get to decide. Yep. And they will have an impact because that's the rule. That's kind of the way it goes. Yeah. And you can can, uh, play within the rules and still stay true to yourself. I do believe that. Yeah, I do too. Yeah. Yeah. And you can, I think for me, it's, you know, having seen people that have done it. And uh, I also think the uh, self-awareness is really big, and that's a lot of what I do, you know, just understanding what's your style, what are your motivations, and having a framework around all of those, and then being able to use that same framework to do what you said, understand their style, their motivators, you know, understand, you know, how they think, understand how you think, and all of that puts you in the driver's seat, along with knowing what the rules are, because you know yourself, you know the rules, and you start to use all of that to apply to how I, how you relate to the people you're working with particularly your boss. That's right. That's right. So understanding the rules will make you more emotionally intelligent. Yeah. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, that's a big piece of the puzzle. I love that. So the book is Lessons from the Trenches, A Woman's Guide to Winning the Corporate Game. It's on Amazon. I'll have a link to it in the show notes. If anybody wants to go to look at that, I think it's a a keeper and something you could consider if all of the topics that we're talking about today are of interest to you. Now, let's go and you wrote a second book where you interviewed top leaders. You have your commentary in there as well as what they are thinking and knowing. And it's something you said earlier, if I knew then what I know now, well, that's actually the title of this book. Um, if I knew then what I know now, Secrets to Success from Top Women Leaders. You you interviewed how many leaders? Um, 21, I think. Well, I was thinking it was in the 20s. Yeah, 21 <laughs> female leaders. Yeah. And uh, they shared their insight. Is there a particular interview or story that's your favorite out of all of those? And uh, if so, what is it and why, why is that one your favorite? The one I like best is the last chapter, which is Don't Feel Guilty. And this is about going out there and not feeling guilty about being a working mother. 
So as a working mother of two now-grown now children, I remember what it was like to feel that I was doing a lousy job at everything. Oh my gosh, I'm not doing a good job at home. I'm not doing a good job at work. And I, I felt tremendous guilt at times that I was not at home. And this was in the 80s back then. There weren't as many working mothers. There weren't as many women in, in leadership at all. Um, but the men didn't feel the same way I did. And the advice from the women I interviewed for this chapter is, is really right on. It's, it's, it, it's important for children to understand that your work is part of your identity and who you are rather than just a paycheck. And women need to understand that as well. I talk a yep. lot about finding your passion, but it's, yep. it's important. If you're just thinking that work is a paycheck, then if your husband starts making more, then you quit your job and you lose your whole identity. Work needs to be part of who you are, what you like to do that makes you feel whole. The other thing is you want your children to grow up thinking that a career is a good thing, not drudgery. You don't want them to pick up on guilt because because they'll exploit that. My children always did, and they're children <laughs> yeah. after all. So they, yeah, <laughs> they might make it feel worse. Way. <laughs> yeah. So Hala Modelmog, who's now CEO of the Atlanta Chamber, gives some really good advice. She used to bring her kids on the weekend into the office with her, so they could see where she worked and what she did, and kind of made them part of her job and let them know that she was proud of her job. And I just, it's nice to see top women who aren't feeling that guilt. And that's, that's what I felt from the women in this chapter. I just thought it was, it was refreshing. And to not feel guilty if you, if you uh, make that uh, correlation between this is part of my identity and it's actually good for my kids. And then you can see other women who you admire, like by reading your stories or the, your stories in that book, but also role models who are not uh, um, feeding that guilt, you know, learning how to deal with it and work with it and make it work. That can help women who are struggling with that. Cause I think women really struggle with that. Yeah. I mean, when I was, when my children were little, I had my parents and my in-laws telling me that I should quit work. Nowadays, hopefully, parents are more supportive and say, no, no, don't quit work. Your kids will be okay. I mean, another of my proudest moments was when my daughter, who is now 28, said to me, you know, Mom, I am so glad you worked. You've given me a role model, and it was great. And I thought, ooh, good for you. That's really nice to hear because all of that guilt was for nothing. Yeah, I didn't have to do that. And I think I remember... when you and I met, you talked about you were featured in a, uh, a magazine, and she's just started business school or getting her MBA or something. Yeah, she's she at, read the article at, or something. She's now at um, MIT and getting her her MBA, and will start Harvard's Kennedy School next oh. year. She's getting her master's in public administration too, so she'll have a joint degree. And yes, she, there was a magazine article that came out and she was very proud of it and it made me feel good and that, that I can be a role model for her. So it's very nice. I think the key part of that is why are you doing what you're doing? Find your purpose and, um, get out of this, uh, 
don't be around people who don't like their work. I mean, don't spend a lot of time with those people and don't spend a lot of time at the water cooler. And, you know, the negative things can draw people down. I think you have to be very protective of your energy and your focus and who you surround yourself with because there's plenty of people who aren't enjoying their work. And you need to go seek out the people who are and uh, make that your focus and decide. And it's that's the other thing that I think splits people. Is it split energy? It's a split focus. I'm here, but maybe I shouldn't be. I'm home. Maybe I shouldn't be. And you have to get really good. And guys are good at this compartmentalizing. I've gotten better at it over the years. Just And it's for me, it's been about deciding. I am doing this. I am doing this right now, and I'm going to focus on this. And it's yep. kind of being a little bit absolute like that. Um, and then being very picky about where I allow myself to focus and who I allow into my world to impact me or not impact me, you know. So all of those things are pieces of the puzzle of, uh, you know, being at one in harmony with yourself at work and doing the best you can around that. And then when you come home, being at one and in harmony with yourself at home. The split yes. stuff is what makes us crazy, I think, on anything. Yeah. The positives are be around positive people, be around people who like what they do. That's the best advice. Yeah. 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 Awesome. Awesome. Great stuff. So we're coming to a close. If if we've spoken about so many things that are going to be great show notes, so be sure to go look at the show notes to get the recap of all of this, listeners. Um, But if there was one bit of advice or wisdom that you'd want every female leader to take away from this overview on barriers, uh, what would you leave them with or leave us with? I would say, and this is short but sweet, forget those childhood lessons. Forget that you're supposed to be the one in the background that is supporting the person who is out doing things. Forget the childhood lessons. Do what you want to do. Put yourself out there and go for it. Okay, I love it. Love it, love it, love it. Okay, so that's everybody's mantra who is who is listening to this and says, oh, yeah. I want to do that. So write that down and say it to yourself. Put it on your computer. (laughs) Do what you want to do and go for it. Awesome. And then about the men who are listening, what takeaway would you like to leave with our uh, gentlemen, leaders, and executives? I would like to leave guys with the, the thought that your job is to help your female direct reports, those those women who are reporting to you, help them get themselves out there and get noticed. I would like the men to be able to see when there is an internal barrier that women are coming up against and help them navigate those barriers, push them to go for the stretch assignment or the new position, and to make sure you're doing the same for yourself. Yeah. But try to try to recognize when you feel that women are hitting these barriers and help them get around them. Awesome. Great advice. Okay. I also want to mention, Aaron, tell a little bit about you have an executive leadership for women program that's coming up at Kennesaw State. Uh, this is being recorded in 2015, and that leadership program is uh, July 16th and 17th. Can People still shine up. Where can they get more information? Um, just a little bit of overview on that program. 
Yes, people can still sign up. We have Gail Evans, who is the author of the New York Times bestseller, Play Like a Man, Win Like a Woman. She was also the first female EVP at CNN. She is our lead facilitator, so we're excited about that. So people can still sign up. They can go directly to the website, which is coles.kennesaw.edu slash execed, E-X-E-C-E-D, slash executive leadership for women. Or you can email me directly at ewolf3, E-W-O-L-F-3, at kennesaw.edu. So those are the two. Those links in there, too. Yeah, okay. that would be terrific. Okay. So those links will be in the show notes. And if they want to, they maybe don't want to go to the program right now, they can't because of their schedule. How do they stay in the loop on the happenings around that? Because I know you have speakers that you bring in, I think you said four times a year, and you have different things that you're offering on a regular basis. Uh, do they just email you or how yes. do they kind of get on that list? That it's easiest to email me if you want to know what's going on at the Women's Leadership Center at Coles College of Business. You can Google Women's Leadership Center at Coles College of Business, and yep. our website will come up there. But it, the easiest to know about things that are going on is to just email me at ewolf3 at kennesaw.edu. And it's number three, right? Number three, yes. Ewolf yep. number okay. three at kennesaw.edu. Yeah, and so if people want to do speaking help or coaching help, that's that's also they just email you directly. That's right. Okay, great. Perfect. Thank you, Aaron. Thank you very much, Susie. I appreciate being on your podcast. You've been great. So did you get a lot out of that interview? I know you did. I got a lot out of it. I enjoyed it. I want to remind you where the show notes are. You go to pricelessprofessional.com slash barriers, B-A-R-R-I-E-R-S, barriers, and you'll see the full show notes. And of course, if you're looking at the podcast um, on your iPhone, you just tap the image there and, and most of those notes will show up so you can get links to the books that were recommended and the Harvard bias test. I put a link in there about that and I took that test. It's very interesting. So uh, be sure to refer to the known show notes, pricelessprofessional.com slash barriers. Some of the key things that i really took away from this interview was that these barriers are not a defect and they're not inherent. We're not stuck with them and we don't have to live with them, Um, but they can be worked on and improved upon, especially if we can name it. I mean, that's the value often so much of all the assessment work that I do and of 360 feedback is if you can name it, and it's not something nebulous, and you can see it through feedback or through just even having the names of the barriers and seeing yourself within one or two of them, then you can actually work on it. So they're not defects, and it's not inherent, and we're not stuck with them. And if we want to be smart, we'll work on them. So, And I like what what uh, Erin shared at the end, final takeaways. Do what you want, go for it. And to the guys, help your female employees get noticed. And if you see these barriers, help them navigate through them. It was interesting, I was... uh, on Facebook or Twitter or somewhere. And there was an article that uh, was in Forbes magazine, and I liked what it said. i just read you the first part of it. It says, having women reach their full potential isn't a feminist issue. It's an economic one. If women entrepreneurs started with the same funding as their male counterparts, they would add 6 million jobs to the economy within five years. 
And so my thought to that is, okay, those jobs aren't missing because women are not able to leave, lead. They're missing because there were some internal or external barriers that the, that the women who had those barriers didn't understand and they hadn't worked on them. So they couldn't reach their full potential to make sure that they get the same funding. So those barriers can become blind spots if we don't know about them. And now you do. So I hope you enjoyed the interview. If you did, please go to iTunes, subscribe, leave a review, send me a note, Susie at pricelessprofessional.com. Your feedback is very helpful. Share it with others. If you leave a review on iTunes, then uh, it will help other people find this podcast if you found benefit from it. And uh, just appreciate it. Show notes again, pricelessprofessional.com slash barriers. And when you go to that page, you'll see a place where you can subscribe. There's very obvious buttons there. And there's a place where you can click on the um, iTunes button so you can leave a review. So our next podcast is going to be around employee selection. And so, you know, our topics for this this um podcasts are all around leaders, trainers, and consultants who are focused on employee selection and professional development. And so far, I've just done, out of the 11 podcasts so far, I've only done one on employee selection, and that was episode number three, which you can find at pricelessprofessional.com slash interview mistakes. And that's where I talked about the top three interview mistakes that hiring managers make. And employee selection is such an important topic because Hiring good employees are going to make or break your business success. And hiring mistakes happen when you're in a rush. And and uh, so in this podcast, I'm going to talk about how not to be in a rush and how to make sure that you have your interview team ready so there's not so much confusion or mistakes that are made when people are interviewing and how to help your interviewers and yourself not bring your bias to the interview process. That's a little bit of something we talked about in this interview with Aaron around unconscious bias. Well, it comes in in the interview process. So I'm going to give you a a five-step process that you can use with your interview team to kind of eliminate that bias and have you be very focused on what's needed for success on the job and so that you hire the right person, putting the right people in the right seat. So that's going to be podcast episode number 12. And so I'm looking forward to that in the next next episode. We'll share that with you so that you can get everybody on the same page and improve your ability to hire the right person. So keep posted at wakeupeagerworkforce.com. You can follow me on Twitter at wakeupeager. And we have a Facebook page, facebook.com slash wakeupeager. So hope you're waking up eager. Hope you're having a good day. And I hope that these podcasts are a part of that. Good luck and much success, and we'll talk to you next time around. Take care. This episode of the Wake Up Eager Workforce Podcast was brought to you by Priceless Professional Development. Thank you for tuning in. If you enjoyed today's show, head over to pricelessprofessional.com to gain access to more professional development resources. 